All right, here we go. You got your bulletins with you? Uh, we are carrying on uh, unreasonable grace through the eyes of Matthew. Everybody's just sitting still. And You okay? Got your Kleenexes? I was the bingo caller last night at the camp out, so I've been a little gruff today. If I sound like uh, Louis Armstrong a little bit, <clears throat> first service I'll make it, second service it'll be different. All right. I try not to sing during worship to save my voice, but dude, what are you going to do? Just stand there? It's good. In the Sermon on the Mount, that's where we're at in the book of Matthew. Chapter 5, uh, there's six illustrations that Jesus is using for the purpose of teaching about the character or the heart of the servants who belong to the kingdom of heaven. Mm, I was thinking during worship service. Uh, I write this all out so that I say the things I need to say, and then I think during worship service. We often want to be... Uh, we want to be saved, but we don't necessarily want to look and act like king, children of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And, and the Sermon on the Mount is not just about, oh, we're just going to save you. It is about, about you looking and acting like a child of God. <sighs> Jesus is not speaking about, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, I had to just get that out of my brain or it's going to be there for the next 30 minutes. Jesus is not speaking about singular actions or isolated behaviors here in the Sermon on the Mount. He is illustrating the life that God blesses. He is illustrating that God is present in us and that God's righteousness is what defines us. He laid that out in the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. This morning we are on unreasonable grace and retaliation. Retaliation. Uh, this is the fifth of the six illustrations that Jesus uses to describe unreasonable grace. It seems obvious in that video what unreasonable grace is. Um, retaliation. This probably doesn't apply to anybody in this group. I want to believe that none of us have ever experienced the desire to retaliate or get even with someone who's done us wrong. I'm sure all of us are just filled with grace all the time. Everybody's sitting still and no one feels the need to leave, so I guess here's the target audience this morning. He's gonna, Jesus is going to follow the same uh, format as the previous four illustrations, so I'm going to do the same thing. First, he's going to define the offense. So number one, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, Jesus is speaking and he says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is not some obscure law that's buried in the Old Testament. We actually find it uh, repeated several times in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. I'll get to the specifics of that later. In fact, we even find it is prevalent in secular ancient literature as well. The idea that the punishment must match the injury, it appeals to our sense of fairness. You hurt me to whatever degree, I'll hurt you, at least to that degree, right? 
I mean, every two-year-old understands when their space has been violated or when they have been violated. Yeah, I said two-year-olds. I didn't say 40-something-year-olds. Us, adults, all those kids over there. Every two-year-old understands when they, when they or their space have been violated, and then they retaliate, right? You grabbed my toy, I'll grab yours. You hit me, I hit you back several times, right? See, I know. At some point, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I understand, right? Because if you scratch my car, I'm going to ram your car. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It appeals to this very deep-rooted sense of fairness inside of us that I want to get even, I want to retaliate. God gave this instruction to Israel to equip the people to govern themselves. Imagine that. It is a very practical standard or a very practical principle that can be applied at every level of governing people. Being that fairness tends to be understood by most people. It gives the people in most situations the ability to resolve a problem between themselves with fairness and equity, right? This is a brilliant idea. The punishment, are you staying with me? Some of you are looking at me like it's not a brilliant idea. I just teach the scriptures. You, you have to take, if you don't like it, you take it up with God. The punishment must match or be equal to the crime. So in Exodus chapter 21, verse 22, I'm not going to put all the extra scriptures on the, on the screen uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, so, so write down the, the reference and then you can look at it later to make sure that I'm really using scripture. Exodus chapter 21, verse 22 through 25 applies this principle. He applies it in the sense of accidents, though. So think in terms of accidents. This is not an intentional crime. This was just an accident that happened. So yeah, I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm going to abbreviate it. If you accidentally cause harm to another person, the punishment must match the injury, right? So if an accident, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 19 does the very similar thing, uh, applying this principle to an accident. Um, for example, two people are working together. One drops their end of the dumaflachi and it smashes the other guy's finger, right? So then the person who dropped his in should get his finger smashed. It's very civil. <laughs> got my sarcasm, right? Whenever I was in uh, Bible school, I worked at a McNaughton Livestock uh, Equipment Company. It was a distributorship for um, livestock equipment. We had these head gates that go on squeeze chutes. They weigh about 300 pounds. And they were really hard to manipulate because they were just bulky and heavy. And I would get guys from college to go with me to help us put head gates on squeeze chutes. You don't need to know what a squeeze chute is. It's no big deal. Or a head gate. They'll figure it out. Ask Randy afterwards. He can explain it to you. So invariably, I would work with guys who would just pick stuff up and then without warning would drop it and mm, test the limits of this principle here. So they would smash my fingers, so then I'd have to smash their fingers. Um, back to the point, this is very civil, okay? You smash my finger, I get to smash your finger. Very equitable. Very reasonable. 
And when we first read this, it's like, yeah, that's right. And then we start thinking how it actually works out. And it's like, oh. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 21. For all of us patriots, we're going to like this. It applies this very same principle in a little different way. Uh, listen carefully. He says, I'm actually reading the text this time. He says, you must show no pity for the guilty. Your rule, that's what it says, your rule should be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, and foot for foot. The law of equal retaliation was not only about fairness between neighbors, it also serves as a deterrent to crime. The verse right before, I read verse 21, verse 20 says, right before it, he says, then the rest of the people will hear about it and be afraid to do such an evil thing. Right? As Americans, that resonates in us. I mean, I've said it before. I think we should do public executions because then people will see, hey, if you do a crime, there's serious punishment. Everybody needs to know you should be afraid to commit a crime. It resonates inside of us. It's fair. In the Old Testament, there are two purposes for this law, this law specifically. Fairness and retaliation, the punishment must be equivalent to the crime. And second, prevention of crime, the punishment also serves to deter crime. Just kind of a side note, but I think it's very interesting. In many societies, almost all societies, this is the backbone. This principle is the backbone of civil law, equity and fairness. Making an example. In the Old Testament, the offense, the sin, would have been when there was not equity, either too much or too little, in the crime committed and the punishment. Okay? That gets us to number two. I know you think I showed a video, so I'm going to preach really long. That's not my intentions at all. I figured it was worth the eight minutes. Living by grace. Here we go. We're going to go to the next section. In the same style as previous, Jesus uh, has presented the Old Testament law, and then he dramatically raises the standard of the kingdom of heaven. That gets us to verse 39, where Jesus says, just like he has before, but I say, you've heard the Old Testament law and what it is, you've heard the Old Testament standard, and then he says, but I say, do not resist the evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it Two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. I think Jesus has been in the sun too long. <laughs> right? He's out on the, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's been teaching for a bit here. And he says, don't resist the evil person. 
If they slap you on one cheek, give them the other cheek. Isn't this incredibly counterintuitive? Allow the evil person to get the better of you? No way! No way! That is... It's not our way. It's not our way. To make his point clear, Jesus gives four examples of what he means. In the event we don't understand what he means, he's going to give us examples. The first one is, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. A slap would be an insult. It's intended to humiliate because an act of violence would be to make a fist and punch somebody. No, no man intending to whip somebody goes up and goes, pow. You want some of this? <laughs> No, you're coming in with your fist. It is, it's an insult. It's, it, it's designed to humiliate. That's the whole idea. By the way, I don't think that Jesus is not saying that if someone is punching you, that you should just not protect yourself. I don't think that that's at all. The, the issue here is humiliation. So if someone has insulted you, anybody ever been insulted? Don't raise your hand. Don't look around. You know who you are. Close your eyes. Given the offering. I mean, let's come forward. <laughs> If someone has humiliated you physically or verbally, these are the people that Jesus tells us not to resist. He's saying, let them insult you. Don't physically or verbally resist or retaliate. So, Brent, when someone talks bad about me, I just let them talk bad about me? That's it. But shouldn't I defend myself? Just stay with me here for the next 45 minutes. My sermon just got longer. The law of retaliation gives you the right to insult them equally. Because that's always, whenever we're in an insult battle, we do it equally, right? You know? <laughs> I, I have 12 different thoughts going through my head and none of them are appropriate for sermon. But Jesus says, no, just let them insult you. Don't protect your, your listen carefully, don't protect your own pride. You, you actually don't need your pride anyway. You okay? You walk funny. Well, your mom's ugly. That, that's what was going through my mind. I can't resist it. You're short. Well, your dad walked funny. Right? Don't protect your pride. You don't need your pride anyway. Really? Is that the standard that Jesus is teaching here? After, after Paul, because sometimes we say, well, this is an isolated incident. It's not really what he means. And so we have to put it in the context of the whole of Scripture. And then, you know, we try to diffuse what Jesus is saying because we don't like what Jesus is saying. So after Peter, pardon me, after Paul taught about giving ourselves as a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, you may remember this. It's a really big, really big uh, first few verses of Romans chapter 12. 
uh, Paul's been talking about giving your life as a living sacrifice to God. Uh, and, then he, and then throughout the next couple of chapters, he teaches the specifics of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And this is what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 17, 18, and 19. You should write this down and look at it later because it's really, really good. Romans chapter 12, verses 17, 18, and 19. Paul says, never pay back evil with more evil. Well, what about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and a smashed finger for a smashed finger? Never pay back evil with evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. But I was just paying them back. Yeah, but people missed the first act. All they saw was you paying them back. And so now they think you're a jerk because that's how it really works out, right? No one ever sees both sides of the argument. They only see when you act like an idiot, not when the first idiot acts like an idiot. But Brent, we want fairness. So if they're going to be an idiot, I have to be an idiot too. <laughs> I'm just going to have some water while you guys think about, oh, I wasn't supposed to call anybody idiot, right? I preached against that several weeks ago. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Verse 19, he says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. And then uh, Jesus modeled this in his own life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. Jesus is, Peter is speaking of Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, did not retaliate when he was insulted. Nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. Did Jesus have the right to retaliate? Oh, dude, he was the son of God. Of course he had the right to retaliate. But he also had the character of God. The ability to extend grace when it makes no sense at all. The second illustration that Jesus uses here is if you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat to Brent. That's, that's not fair. They, they take you to court. I mean, if you're there, you think that you're in the right anyway. And the judge says, nope, you're in the wrong. Give him your shirt. And you take off your shirt and you give them the coat as well. What? In the Jewish judicial system, one could not take a person's coat and keep it overnight. The reason is that, especially among poorer people, they use their coat for bedding at night. So you could sue a person for their, their shirt, kind of their undergarment, but not for their coat because that was necessary for them. Jesus says, instead of an eye for an eye... If your accuser takes your shirt legally, then by grace, give them your coat as well. 
which has more value really to you and maybe to them as well. But if they sue you for your shirt, give them what's really valuable. Give them your coat as well. To those listening to Jesus, as he teaches there on the shore, on the mountain next to the Sea of Galilee, I'm pretty sure they would have understood what Jesus was saying whenever he says, give your coat as well, because that's significant value. Jesus, you sure are asking a lot of us. I do think this speaks to how we value things, possibly more than we value the character of God in us. This is mine. I worked for it. I bought it. I did whatever to get it. It is mine. I'm not going to just give it away. That would be bad stewardship. Right? We, have a, we always have a Christian way of justifying our selfishness. The issue is not fairness between me and that person. They don't deserve to get more than they deserve, by definition. The issue is not fairness between me and the person. The issue is Shining God's grace by my good deeds. We covered that back when we talked about Jesus, about us being the light in the world. Do you remember that? It's not about fairness between you and I. It's all about God's grace shining through those who call themselves fully devoted followers of Christ. The next illustration is a, a soldier <clears throat> demands that you carry his gear for a mile. Carry it two miles. It was the Roman law that if soldiers were to, Roman soldiers specifically, were to travel, they could commandeer horses, mules, carts, even people, like we saw in the video. If requested by a Roman soldier, a Jew would have to carry uh, the personal belongings of that soldier for one mile. It was required by law. I, it just occurs to me that we live so far away from this. This is just so weird, so alien to us. It was required by law if a Roman soldier said, hey, carry my stuff, this Jew had to carry it one mile because Rome was occupying Israel. The Romans were taxing the Jews. Uh, these Romans were imposing their own laws on the Jews. And these Romans have the legal, they have the legal right to oppress the Jews. But Brent, doesn't that give the Jews a right to stand up and punch a Roman soldier in the face? The Old Testament does. You have the right. The question is, do you have the grace? The first mile I served you because I had to. Because I was weaker than the Roman law that binds me. But the second mile I served you because I have been set free by the unreasonable grace of the kingdom of heaven. The first mile, I was your servant. The second mile, I was free to be a servant of the living God. Verse 42. He says, give to those who ask, and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. 
kingdom of heaven folks, they are generous. Just going to have some water on that one. <laughs> really, Brent? Give to those who ask and don't turn away those who want to borrow. People of the kingdom of heaven are generous people. By the standards of this world, <clears throat> maybe they are too generous, generous to a fault. Clinging to the things of this world is not, I'm going to say this slower. I went way too fast. Clinging to the things of this world is not indicative of a person who has their heart set on heaven. Does that make sense? Be generous with what God has given you. <clears throat> but I earned it. Let me try that again. Be generous with what God has given you. But Brent, I have a job and I paid for it. Let's try again. Be generous with what God has given you. But it's mine. And therein lies the problem. You think it's yours. You think, you think your things are yours, and you think your life is yours. Don't wait until someone deserves your generosity. That is not what God has modeled toward us. Did you hear what I said? Don't wait until someone deserves, by your impeccable standards, <laughs> Don't wait until someone deserves your generosity. That is not what God has modeled towards us. If someone needs help, if someone needs help, then figure out the best way possible to help them. If someone needs to borrow something, lend to them. If Brent needs to borrow your angle grinder, just leave it in the mailbox. He'll get it. <laughs> Hold loosely to your things. And hold tightly to God's unreasonable grace. But Brent, that's not fair. Because we live in America and we know, we know people will take advantage of me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For God called you... I always like it whenever people are like, I'm just, just seeking to, I, I need to know what, I, what God has called me to. I need, to. I need to find God's will for my life. If you're that person looking for God's will or you need to know God's calling in your life, tune in your ears. I'm about to tell you what God has called you to. This is going to be glorious, okay? You're going to love this. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Oh, well, Brent, I think we should get a different translation. We need to get a second opinion on that one. <laughs> That's not the Christianity I signed up for. No, 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 sweetheart, that is Christianity. For God has called us, you and I, to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his footsteps. We want Jesus to save us, but don't make us like him. Oh, you okay? <laughs> okay. 
God has called us to do good even when it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example. You must follow in his footsteps. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins, is what the scripture says. Is that fair? No, it's not fair at all. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Oh, that's good. By his wounds, you are healed. Not your own wounds. By Christ's wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. While I'm reading that, I'm thinking we often look at people and they're like, well, they're, they're being goofballs. They're just wandering away from doing what is right. Why do I have to go be nice to them and draw them back in? I mean, they're the ones that's not using their head. I'm doing everything I can to avoid saying idiot again. They're just being knuckleheads and they're, they're doing what is wrong. And why do I have to go get them? Because, because the shepherd of your soul came after you and brought you in. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you're going to do things that Christ did. Happy Father's Day, sweetheart. That's how it works. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, we're going to do what Christ modeled. So we're going, we are called to do good things, even if it means suffering. And I don't think that that's the American way. The American way is to protect myself from having to suffer at all. And that's not the biblical way. The biblical way is life, my life, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can use it however he wants. And if he wants to use my life in a way that causes suffering, that causes me to have to turn my cheek so that I humiliate it again. I mean, I know y'all think that I'm always wonderful and everybody loves me, but that's not true. <laughs> I've had people publicly tell how bad I am. I know you're surprised, aren't you? Some of you are like, I heard it. <laughs> I was there. I did it. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. I don't live for your glory or my glory. I live for the glory of God. And so I have to set my, I have to set my life aside and just trust that the, the model of Jesus Christ is superior to anything I could ever want for myself. <laughs> 